Welcome to another edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today we have a very special guest, somebody that, well, let's let's put it this way. Rick Sanchez is an Emmy Award winner who was the host of the number one, and listen to me, number one daytime show on CNN and the first U.S. Latino to host a national newscast, Rick's <laughs> List. He was canceled for a quote-unquote mistake when describing the lack of diversity in the news media as memes tweets and pundits piled on the damage of a a few poor chosen sentences Mm -hmm. it took only hours before sanchez's career would come to a scorching halt at cnn and this was before the cancel culture was in vogue and before i ask uh, Brother Rick, to say anything, I just want to say there are many times these types of changes are blessings. And from all that I saw thereafter, blessing. Rick Sanchez, welcome to Politics Unread. How are you doing today? <laughs> That's great, man. I love, you know, I, lo- I love the way you explained that whole thing. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, my mother. Knock that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Used to say, you know, Un paso para adelante, un pasito para atrás. Exactamente. Un paso para adelante, un pasito. You know, you take a step forward, son, in life, and you may have to take another one back. But you know what? Never plan to go back, not even to gather speed. So, yes, sometimes things happen in our lives, and if we handle them properly, they usually make us better. I even say to people when they ask me, I say, if you haven't tripped for a while, if you haven't fallen down, Ask somebody to knock your ass down because I guarantee you it'll make you better. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, man. That is the way one should look at all of this. Let me tell you something. I don't want to harp on that issue, but I want to. Uh, it, it really upset me then, okay? Because yeah. I, I was a dedicated watcher of your show. In fact, I was one of those eye reporters that would call in all the time. And every now and then you'd give me a quote, I'd give a quote that I put up on a tweet or something. I really enjoyed the. You are one of the first to really have a genuinely interactive show. In other words, yes. what we what we what we cherish today. So it was great during those times of um, watching what you were doing. Right. My question to you is: um, It wasn't the days of cancel culture. No. How comes your exit was so fast? Boy, you know that was a really. Um... I, there's no question I made a mistake and there's no question that uh, I was clumsy in what I was trying to say. And for those of you who don't remember, essentially at the time, um, I was trying to make the point that in cable news and in do- news in general across the United States, hell, forget cable news, media in general, right. movies in America, whatever, uh, there was a lack of diversity. We we saw the same people from the same place giving the same opinions all the time, and there and there was a sense that most of the people came from you know the Ivy League set, the you know Northeast. Um, they tended to be you know Anglo Europeans. Uh, there they didn't today. There are at least more African Americans, and that's nice to see. 
Um, but back then, it was there was very few African Americans. There were very few of anything that wasn't, you know, the white Anglo-Saxon, for lack of a better term. And um, and I was trying to make that point that it was really important for the media to look beyond itself because America is not what they were painting. That wasn't what we look like. And that in particular, Latinos, 20 percent of the population of the United States should be as represented. Now, at the time I was going through this whole thing at CNN and some people might remember where. I was doing really, really, really great ratings. In fact, yes. historic ratings. I was told at the time I was reaching ratings they'd never seen before at CNN. And yet every time they had an opportunity to put me in a prime time slot, they would pass on me and give it to somebody else. So to say I was a little pissed off is an understatement. So they caught me at the wrong time. And this guy's doing an interview with me. And when I start talking about diversity, somehow I foolishly started talking about uh about John Stewart, who's a great guy, by the way, and a dear mm -hmm. friend of mine. And we've talked all the time and he was great. But at the time I said, you know, I'm kind of angry at John right now because he seems to be constantly harping on me. And why doesn't he harp on others? And then the guest turned it into a conversation about John Stewart. And before I knew it, we were talking about Jews versus Latinos, which is a kind of a dumb conversation and mm -hmm. how I got myself there, who knows? And then I started saying that in the news media, Jewish Americans are not underrepresented. Which is true, by the way. Right. Uh, just like in Miami politics, Cubans are definitely not, you know, right. underrepresented. Uh, and in different places, you'll find that some people do very well. So, but the way I phrased it made it sound like I was being criticizing Jews in general, which I wasn't. But obviously, my words were wrong. So I immediately apologized. I said, "No, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm trying to say. I apologized here, and I, and I did the whole mea culpa. But it was too late. You're right." Talk about cancel within a matter of hours. Yes, I, I remember. Mean, late night television hosts were lambasting me. The the every newspaper in America wrote headlines about this evil guy, and I was like, guys, I, I just misspoke. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. But let, let, let me let me interrupt you a bit, Rick, because what the reaction to what you said proved not necessarily how the words were put, but it proved exactly what you're talking about because there 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 it is that you said some words that uh look i i'm not gonna i'm uh, no no if, no if, I, know, i know where you're going in fact here let me help you yeah. as soon as i was over most of my really dear dear really great jewish friends including you know the adl the anti-defamation league right where they immediately called me and said look we know you you're not an anti-semite right you're, you're, you're not anti-jewish you just screwed up and said some things you probably shouldn't have said And then many of them and my 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 buddies who are, you know, are Jewish and are in the business said, God, you know, this is horrible because the fact that they fired you for saying something about Jews makes it look like Jews control the media. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like making, they didn't like what you said, so they got rid of you. And that's what it's making it look like. And I'm saying, but it's not true. That's not what I'm trying to say. And they don't. And but the but the whole thing, you're absolutely right. If you're trying to say that it ended up kind of being a reconfirmation. It's, that that's what it was unintentionally and, you know, unintentionally it, 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 it was exactly that because you know <laughs> people go on tv and say things about a lot of folks right and they don't lose their jobs uh, and not only that you know rick and i'm gonna get off this subject because we have some important things yeah. to discuss but um but w when you look at it from a, a a standpoint do you understand what it takes to take a number one show host off a station 
you are willing to take a financial, a viewer hit, all this kind of stuff because of yeah. maybe three or four words. It's, it yeah. makes no sense. Even after you come out and say, mia culpa, this is what I'm really trying to say. And then they prove <laughs> a, a particular point. Not exactly as the words, but they, a, a particular point gets proven. But anyhow. And um, by the way, the, yeah. maybe the final thing we should say about all of this is it, 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 in many ways, I mean, we all learn. I, I am highly imperfect, man. I have screwed up so much. We all are. Life. And and part of it is because I'm I'm a you know I grew up not knowing something so right. you know th- there are some particular insensitivity points that we Latinos have that some people don't understand and all it takes is a conversation and then you'll understand you know I, I say some say some things sometimes and my kids say Dad that's racist and I'm going why. And then they, and then I go, oh, okay, okay, I get it. I, I understand how they're, so we're constantly all learning and molding to each other and we're exactly, mean, but we learn from it. You don't have to like chop me off at the knees unless I rob a bank or molest a child. Everything else that has to do with words can be fixed with a conversation. And, you know, and, you know in my program, that's what we do, right? We, you know, I bring folks in from all directions, left, right, middle, anarchist, whatever you want to be. That's, yeah. It's a conversation that it's what it's all about. And that's what I enjoyed about your show. You always had a conversation. Yes. You know, those were what the days that I was in the coffee party and we would some of the, the topics that you'd come up with discuss. And it's like, oh, yeah. And then the, the other great thing about it is when you talk about diversity in you, in, you know, you'd always throw in some Spanish every now and then. Tu sabes lo que estoy diciendo. And, right. and, that kind, and, and yeah, I was like, wow, del día. it was refreshing, you know? Yeah. We had uh, John Klein, the president of CNN. Uh, we were up in the Time Warner building one day, and John, great guy. I love John. Uh, so John Klein calls me into his office, and he says, Sanchez, I got to tell you something. I said, what, John? He goes, your show is now the highest rated non-white rated show. or uh, You have the highest non-white ratings in the history of CNN since they founded the network. You're getting African-Americans, Latino-Americans, Asian-Americans, young Americans to watch our channel in ways that – Frankly, we've just never seen before. Right. And I thought, man, that's pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah, that was and, a special, and, 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 and was it was so thing. easy to let you go. It's amazing. But anyhow, <laughs> whatever. Anyhow, let's go. Yeah. Let, let, let's go. I mean, and by the way, great. we should say we should say, you yes. know, we should say the reason I'm now doing Agua Media, which is where I am right now in the Agua right. Media studios, is because of that, because th- th- because if we don't have a good outlet, which I don't think we still do, right? Way, CNN's never replaced me. Right? There's never been a, they, they never found another Latino. So exactly. to this day, there's no primetime anchor, and you know, there's a couple Acosta, but he's not even an anchor. He doesn't. Right. He's a reporter. So you know, we're not still there. So we've decided to do this because there are truths. Right. There are truths in our community as Latinos that nobody knows about. And if nobody's going to tell them, we will. And that's what we're doing here at uh, Agua Media and the Rick Sanchez News Podcast that I'm doing now. Well, that is great. We're going to talk about that news podcast in a minute. But first of all, uh, stereotyping of Latinos. You were uh, you you shocked them when you got to CNN in that you could actually get some ratings. How do you think uh, Latinos are portrayed still to this day in in uh, in media? And what other than what you're doing with Agua Media and other things, what can we do to improve that situation? Well, it's obvious. I mean, you, we, we could say that if you were to start, for example, with, um, you know, what we call the Fox News 
part of the world, the, the, the right wing media, so to speak. Obviously, it's all about the border, and we got to stop these people from coming over here. And not only that, some of the people who are here, we got to round them up and we got to send them back because, you know, as our former president said, they're rapists and they're criminals. And I suppose some might be good people. Uh, so those are his words, and he didn't invent those words. He right. got those words from watching cable news and from watching Fox News. And Fox News, in many ways, got those words from watching Hollywood's depiction of Latinos, because in movies, according to the study done by uh, USC, uh, 37% of the time Latinos are cast as criminals, and 32% of the time we're cast as uh, not successful. Right. Uh, so the, the idea that people have in their heads is these people are all living around the border. They're dangerous. So when you hear some, you know, late night... Um, uh, news person, they're not really news people because news people don't work on cable channels anymore, but whatever. Uh, somebody who got, got a job reading uh, or giving their opinions on Fox News in primetime says that if we continue to let these people in, your daughter's going to end up raped. Well, there's a genesis for that. It, it came from some place. And by the way, they're not the only ones who are guilty because while they what I like to call the Anderson Coopers and the Rachel Maddows of the world, you know, the CNNs and the MSNBCs tend to patronize Latinos, you know, and, and hope that they'll watch. When you really get down to it, they won't give you the numbers. They won't dispel those myths properly. They won't tell you, like I'm about to tell you right now, that Latinos in the United States are the third fastest growing GDP economy in the entire world. Yes, if Latinos in America were a country, they would be the third fastest growing GDP in the world, only behind China and India. Who knew that? Well, you know that if you watch Rick Sanchez, if you listen to Rick Sanchez News or watch Rick Sanchez News. Here's another one for you. Of Latinos, 41 and under, 95% speak English. Most people think we're a bunch of beaners who barely speak English, and most of us jumped the border last week. Here's another one. 80% of Latinos are U.S. citizens. Who knew, Right. These are important pieces mm -hmm. of information. This is not even MSNBC gives it to you. Yes, yes. I mean, as we like to say, esto es importante. This is where the rubber meets the road. Knowing truths sets you free, right? It tells people Latinos are Americans. We're all in the same boat. We're not different. Y it's por eso necesitamos tu canal. Por eso necesitamos tu canal. Pero it, it, it's interesting, right? Because um, the country, uh, as as uh, first of all, I, I want to bring up something because it, one of the things we're going to talk about is that we want to refute Latino leaders or who are so-called Latino leaders. And here's here's an interesting thing. Um, you are a journalist yeah. and you are putting this information out. There's a whole lot of crap out there in the news media and everybody gets their chance in front of CNN, in front of ABC, CBS. And these these things that you are articulating here, one would think that our Latino leaders would be out there hammering those particular points, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a point like we have a recession. I mean, not a recession. We, we have a slowdown. And some of this slowdown that we have today, they claim it's because they're having problems hiring people, finding people to work. Right. We have a border that is exploding with people who prove they want to work. How did they prove they want to work? Anybody who walks from Panama or from Guatemala or from or jump over from Cuba to get out to, to find a way to Mexico to then come into that person is a worker. OK, yeah. Yeah. now 
Now, if we have this shortage, you would think Latino leaders would be out there saying, hey, uh, these guys, the, the, these GOP guys are screwing Americans because by them fighting the border as opposed to a sensible border plan, bringing the workers that we need to save inflation. I don't hear the Democrats putting that sort of message out to positivize Los Latinos ahí en el aborde. And by the way, it's not only Latinos en el aborde, because up in Canada, we have other people coming in from Czechoslovakia. Well, not more Czechoslovakia, Czech and, the, and Slavic and all these other places right. coming in. We don't see those sensible messages coming out, Rick. Yeah, the, the average now, Latino. I, and again, I put some of that fault on themselves, on Latino leaders, just like I put certain issues on the CBC. And they, we have leaders that just aren't leaders anymore. Your thoughts on that? Absolutely. We, the average Latino works two jobs. The average Latino goes to church. The average Latino is very family oriented. The average Latino has a tendency to start jobs when they come to the United States. They're more entrepreneurial. There was a recent study that came out that said Latinos right now are starting more small businesses than any cohort in the United States. Latinos are hiring more people than any cohort in the United States. Man, this stuff's important. These metrics are important. This data is important. This can change minds. But nobody's saying any of these things except what? myself and maybe Gary Acosta and Saul Trujillo and yourself and the Stanford study that's recently done, the new UCLA study that just came out. The research is there. You just got to find it and tell it. But nobody seems interested but in you know, doing you that know, because I'm, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say something that isn't quite, um, you know, in a lot of ways, one of the reasons for, you know, in, in Panama, we get, you know, you, you, you don't, you don't have a job. You get a cart, you put, so you do some raspao and you go out and you sell it or you make some ojaldas and, you know, you go on the streets and you do these things. Find it's entrepreneurial, right? Yeah. And that spirit, I don't know if, if a lot of the people in power want to highlight that spirit because I don't know how much in America we really want a hell of a lot of independent uh, thinkers in reality. And I wonder if a lot of this isn't just uh, folks saying, if we give too much freedom for these new people that are coming over that are very entrepreneurial, it may not look well for the others as these people succeed. Your thoughts? Well, I, here, I, I want to share an anecdote with you. Yeah. I want to share a story with you. Mm -hmm. And this story puts the whole conversation that we're having together and explains it. There's a place in the United States called Dalton, Georgia. Mm -hmm. Dalton, Georgia is the carpet mill uh, manufacturing center of the world. Uh -huh. It is where all the carpets, all the rugs are made commercially that are then sent all over the world. And this started when people started putting in uh, carpet mills after World War II, uh, and uh, the soldiers who came back from World War II who lived in that area around the Appalachians took those jobs, worked hard, American know-how, American industrial strength, America, you know, they, they, they did what America's famous for, you know, you know, digging in, getting their hands dirty and creating this unbelievable carpet mill industry led by Mohawk, which is the number one industry of, you know, rug manufacturers in the entire world. So, okay, so now, Fast forward to the 1980s and 1990s. Those workers are old. They're retiring. They're dying. 
They obviously need workers, right? Right. So you think their kids want that job? No, no, nope. they don't. Their, their kids want to go to Atlanta or Charleston or New York or Baltimore or Boston. They don't want to be in, you know, working at the at the carpet mill. So this industry, this business, um, the, the greatest in the in the in the entire planet and from Dalton, Georgia, that part of the mountains in northeast Georgia was about to dry up. So the people are kind of freaked out and the industry leaders go to Mexico and they recruit workers and they end up coming to Dalton, Georgia, and they start essentially reinvigorating Dalton, Georgia and the carpet mill industry. And once again, from its death, from its knees, they bring it back up to becoming once again what it was. So I, as a reporter on CNN, took it upon myself, me and my buddy, Michael Hurd, my producer, and we said... Let's go to Dalton, Georgia. There's a story here and we got to tell it. So I talked to the Chamber of Commerce. I talked to the guy who owns a dry cleaning business. I talked to the local cops. I talked to the mayor. I talked to everybody. And I said, so what's this been like? They said, well, when we were going through that and all these Latinos and all these people came, we didn't know. And we were scared. And we thought, oh, my God, they're going to destroy our community. It's going to be horrible and blah, blah, blah. So I said, yeah, I can understand. You always fear what you don't understand, what you don't know. So what is it like now? They said, Rick Sanchez, let me tell you something. They pay their bills on time. They come up, they they come to work 15 minutes early. They leave 15 minutes late. They fill up our churches that were starting to dry up. They have become leaders in our community. They have saved our industries. They're the hardest workers we've ever known. We here in Little Dalton, Georgia, are a microcosm of what actually does work as opposed to the stories we hear or don't hear from the media. And that captures the essence of what I am talking about. And they happen to be Latinos, but they could have been from anywhere. People with a need and a thirst and a hunger can help America. They don't make it worse. They make us better. Exactly. And, you know, it's and and the thing about it is that is that is an anecdote that I imagine in in, you could probably go to the meat packing industry and all wow. these other places and 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 repeat that, right? And the thing about it is, why don't we see more of those stories? On producers have the right to uh, have the power to say, "Hey, Rick, that story," and that is one story that you don't even run one or two times, right? That is that is a story that you can, you know, whenever you have that empty space, when there's a, a news day that is not all, especially in a country when you find that we are having this sort of angst, you can actually run these stories to it, let it, people it understand. To, it, it, you know, by the way, I, you, you, you're making me think now. It, my wife and I were watching Netflix the other day, mm-hmm. you know, like a, like a bunch of old couples sitting on the couch watching TV. <laughs> And um, and we when we said ah let's find some new series and we found some new series I don't even remember the name of it but and you you know there's a million of them mm-hmm. out there so we're watching this new series and it's pretty good and now they cut to a scene in New York and I think the setting in this series is is a restaurant in New York City right uh, so so they cut to in the restaurant now they're taking you into the kitchen we're we're seeing the maitre d we're seeing the chef we're seeing the people working back there in this series produced in Hollywood by a bunch of non-Latinos, all the workers in the kitchen in a restaurant in New York were not Latino. The (laughs) maitre d' was not Latino. The restaurant workers were not, there were no Latinos in the scene. And I'm thinking, oh my God. I mean, it just flies in the face of Of reality. Yes. 
Yes. I mean, even where we know they couldn't do it without us, they now make a movie and say, well, let's pretend that the people who are the chefs and the workers and the cooks in a restaurant in New York City are all non-Latinos. And and we'll try and sell that to the American people and the American people apparently buy it because the series is doing great ratings. I turned it off. Because I said you're bullshitting us, you know. It just—it's funny mad. because it it brings 2010 right up again. Because it, you know, uh, it, it just proves that you know if we have to keep saying these things in the right way, but we have to keep saying these things. Because Rick, um, I, I hate to tell you, you've been gone for a long time off of cable news, <laughs> but there's very little that has actually changed us. MSNBC got a new leader that has put some new folks on in the in the, in recently but let's see what happens when ratings go make a little dip or something what's going to happen to the, those big changes that were made i yeah. uh, i i i much prefer what you decided to do with aguamedia because um w- when you are in control uh, of your destiny you are in control of your destiny you know mm-hmm. so um let me ask you, who are our Latino before? I want to talk a little bit about Agua Media, but before we talk about Agua Media, as you see it, you're the expert. You've been around the block for a long time. Who are our Latino leaders right now? The Latino leaders right now are, first of all, not who we think they are. I mean, uh, AOC is fascinating. And we just did a podcast where we asked that question. Why is it that Latinos don't really have a leader per se? And we have some political figures. AOC, for example, she's great. She's she's fighting hard for injustice and for trans rights and gay rights and 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 racial rights and and this right and that right. And it's all good. It's all Mm -hmm. good. I'm, I'm glad she's doing that. But is she really focused or does she really understand the Latino cause per se? You know, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think she's too busy saving the world to save any one group of people. Uh, then, you know, we have the Ted Cruz's and we have the Marco Rubio's. And, and, and frankly, between Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and Dora, I'll take Dora the Explorer. <laughs> uh, you know, because it's, I'm sorry, they're, they're just not there. And you can't be a leader of Latinos in the United States and be a hardcore or even in Ted Cruz's case, more than Marco Rubio, a right-wing conservative, because right. right-wing conservatism right now stands for Trump White and Trump stands for anti-Latino. Right. So how can you be a Latino leader if you're kind of espousing an ideology that's anti-Latino? So what we're left with then are people like Saul Trujillo, you know, uh, business people who've made a lot of money in their lives and are now wanting to pour it back in to the community and are willing to spend their money to do the research, to find the metrics so that we can then tell the stories that I have been sharing with you, for example, with those numbers. Part of what I just shared with you right now, the best entrepreneurial study in the United States is conducted every year by Stanford University. In fact, it's called the Latino Studies Entrepreneurial Report put out by Stanford University. Saul and several other Latino leaders behind the scenes are funding that to make sure that somebody's looking at these things. Right. So it's available for the media. Now it's hard to get the media to pay attention to it, but at least there's the numbers. This is how many we are, and this is exactly what we're doing. So, you know, I would venture to say that, a, you know, a guy like Saul Trujillo, he's the leader in this community. And like Saul, and here's the other thing the media is getting wrong is there's a lot of CEOs. There's a lot of business people. 
There's a lot of doctors. There's a lot of professionals in the Latino community who are really making a difference. And nobody knows about them because they're not being invited to the I'm party. I want to ask you a, a dangerous question here, because um, a- with, with, with some with, with some Latinos, do you think that the, that some of that could be that they don't express necessarily themselves as a Latino and rather be assimilated? That they don't express themselves as Latinos. As Latinos. In other words, they want to be of the majority culture. In other words, they they yes. they, they look at they they look at uh, Latino maybe as limiting as opposed to being a factor that they themselves should embrace and and not they yes. don't have to elevate it. It's already there. But yeah, let it be seen as the elevation elevated that it is. When I talk to a lot of the folks in, in our industry, people like you, right? And and me, you know, uh, who bring other cultures to this great country, right? right. Uh one of the first things we do, and it takes a while to get over it, but the the first thing that we have to get over, the first hurdle that we have to get over, that our 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 buddies and our brothers and our sisters who grew up in the United States as quote unquote Americans, you know, Anglo-Europeans or whatever, they don't have to deal with this. Right. Is the first thing we need to have to do is change ourselves and become white. Right. So when I first got my job as a as a news presenter or as a journalist, I remember I spent the first five years of my life trying to sound like a white reporter. Right, right. <laughs> Not sounding like Rick Sanchez, right. who has a soul and a spirit and a Latinism, uh, whatever the hell. Or I come from, you know, the the barrio, and exactly. and all of those things are great because they make they they make me a unique American. That's really an important part of the melting pot. So whether you're an Asian American or an African American or whatever kind of you know American you are, the first thing you should eventually fight through is melting who you are into your message and your ability to speak as an American communicator. And man, you're right. We go through this thing where we think we have to like, I call it whitening ourselves up. Right. And it's totally unnecessary it, because it, that's it, what makes it, us special. And, you know, and I, and I, 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 I run through that a lot and, you know, it, it's amazing. I've been, I've been kind of reg- going on to TikTok a whole lot and have watching a whole lot of Latinos starting to say these kinds of things. No, uh, <laughs> we all bring something to the table. Uh, lo que queremos es una ensalada. We want exactly. a salad. We don't mm-hmm. want to just melt everything into. Actually, because you really aren't melting everything into one. You're converting everything into one, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no real melting pot. There is an ensalada. I mean, I love... I love, you know, I am I'm from a culture in Panama where we have uh, many subcultures and I love them all. Right. When I I, by the way, I went out to Cuba, which is what makes Panama great. By the way, Cuba's kind of that way, too. Yes. We're we're as African as all hell. I mean, we are as European as all hell. We got we got the the, you know, we got the we got the Cuban dude with the with the freckles and the red hair. And and then and then we got the guy who's very dark, uh, you know, from Congo or whatever. It's a complete mix. And that's great. I was in Cuba about five years ago. The best. I mean, you know, we took the whole family. We went like three families together and we just had a ball in Havana, you know? So, I mean, it, you know, it, it is, it, it is like great. So, I mean, I like what you have to say. And I'm, I'm so happy that you have Agua Media where you actually are going to allow that expression. So tell us a little bit about Agua Media. 
Well, you know, uh, Saul and I got together. Um, we recently had been really lucky in that uh, my friends here in South Florida and myself uh, started a company. It's called uh, Cano Health. And we built it because they're great doctors. And I know a little bit about branding and marketing and messaging because this is all I've done all my life. And after CNN fired me, we started that. And Egberto, lo and behold, the thing blew up. We, 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 we worked day and night, seven days a week, 20 hours a day. And uh, it turned into a publicly traded $4.4 billion company. $4.4 so, um, I thought, well, I can retire and do nothing and sit on, on, on a beach somewhere and smoke uh, weed. Or uh, I can uh, I can go back to the thing that I love and work my heart off even more because I still think there's something missing in this country. And I think that thing is being able to communicate the Latino message. So I got with Saul and we said, let's do this. Let's start something new. The future of communication, especially for young people, is digital. So let's do digital. Let's do Latino. Let's do podcast. And let's get this message out there. So we started this thing called Agua Media. You know, our key show right now is, mm, you know, Rick Sanchez News. It's a podcast that just tells Latino truths. Well, wait, just, let's let's stop you with, with don't don't diminish that. You're an entertaining character. You are always entertaining. <laughs> and even now, the, 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 that entertainment factor is back. So keep it up, dude. Anyway, Gracias. tell me about it. <laughs> Thanks. Gracias. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. We do truths. We do the things like all of a sudden it's vogue in America to say that all Latinos are different. None of us are alike. We're all completely different. We're all going to be voting Republican or we're going to be. That's not true. The vast majority of Latinos are family oriented. The vast majority of Latinos uh, go to church and tend to be Christian or Catholic. The vast majority of Latinos uh, vote Democrat. Seventy percent will continue to. I mean, there are patterns within the the Latino communities that we all understand and know that haven't changed, but yet somehow the media comes along and says, oh, no, 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 they're so they're not monolithic. They're not. Who's speaking that? It's never Latinos. Exactly. Here's the other one. They come along and they want to change what we call ourselves. Now, apparently, Latinos are Latinx or something. Oh, no, man. You don't get to decide what we call ourselves. <laughs> I am proud of being a Latino. My grandmother was a Latina, and, it, and and she would be shaking in her grave right now if she found out that for some reason we're no longer going to just, you know, call her that. That is our culture. We're proud. You're a Panamanian American, Latino Panamerican, Amer uh, you know, American. I mean, you could come down the ladder of abstractions and describing people for who they are, Cuban-American, Mexican-American, uh, Afro-Cuban-American, but you can't just throw in a number or a color at someone and say that that's who they are. We're more than a color. So that's there's a, I could go on and on. There's so many things that we discuss and know amongst ourselves, but only but most Americans don't. And that's why we're telling these Latino truths here on the Rick Sanchez News Podcast. So let, let, let me hear it. Agua Media starts with uh, your podcast and your podcast is going to be a bit. I imagine that you already got it on Spotify and all that good stuff. And, it's all there. Yeah. And, and, and uh, what else are you right going to add to uh, what else are you going to add? Uh, you told, told me earlier you're going to have some video and et cetera. Oh, claro. Yeah. We're already on YouTube. And then, by the way, we have an, uh, another show. That is uh, fantastic. It's uh, Kathy Fernandez, Spiritual Reality. I met Kathy about uh, three months ago, and we started talking. And she said, you know, one of the things that we, Latinos are very spiritual. 
Latinos just, we believe in things. We mm-hmm. believe in fate. We believe in miracles. We are moved by things. And Kathy and I were talking and I, and I said, well, let's do a podcast about these things, these spiritual things that Latinos that we all need to once in a while hear that make us better, that make us able to cope with things and that give us the faith and the hope to get through our lives. So Kathy has put together a, a, a show. It's a podcast called Kathy Fernandez Spiritual Healing. It's a fantastic show. It debuts in about uh, two weeks. In about a week, we debut another show. This is uh, Mario Gongora, Me- un Mexicano, fantastic guy, you know. <laughs> Like the Mexicans are just got, got this spirit of creativity. Oh, yeah. I, sometimes I feel like I'm more Mexican than anything else. Because <laughs> I, I, how can you live in the United States and not feel that energy? So Mario's putting something called This Really Happened. And This Really Happened is essentially everybody. We all, I don't know about you, Beto, but we all have moments in our lives that happened that were weird. It was like, if I tell people this, they're going to laugh at me and think I'm crazy. But I really was at church one day and I asked God for something. And then suddenly on the way out, a door opened and I said, who opened that door? And I felt that, and and I'm getting goosebumps saying it right now. As Latinos, we all have things that happen in our lives that are bigger than ourselves and we can't explain them. So this is a podcast about those moments, about those unexplainable things that happen in all of our lives. And what we do is we interview people who've experienced those things and then we tell it in the podcast. And I think it's cool. I so love those that. are the next it's, two big hits we're doing. It's funny that you said that because my fifth, I'm, I'm on my fifth book and it's called, I have one called now, Tribulations of an Afro-Latino Caribbean Man. Racism didn't stop my smile, hope or journey forward. You know, and, and, and it is a collection of all those stories that you just told, all the different things that I've had to go on through from corporate America right into small business person and the works. And you, you know, I, I love those, you know, people like to hear stories because it's real, right? Yes. Uh, it's not something made up by some Hollywood producer. You tell, and that, I think that's why podcasts are doing so well. That's why Agua Media, uh, you know, I, I learned about it recently and I said, that's why it's going to do well because it, the, the landscape is changing. We are certainly now taking the power away from that centralized uh, person who dictates where news is going to be or dictates how one is supposed to be educated. Right. That's absolutely right. And it's, it's, it's owning it, you know, no, you don't get to own it. We own it. And it's when up. I saw this stuff from you, I'm like, Rick, man, I get, you know, I, I actually, yeah. I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, as I got this report, I said, Hey, I wrote to, to your guy. I said, I want this stuff both on Pacifica Network and elsewhere. Talk about this because I, you know, I really love seeing it. And really, when I saw Agua Media and it's like, oh, there we go. Absolutely. So, man. So let's do, let's, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to have my people call your people, as they like to say, because it would be great if we can share some of this and, uh, and maybe get you on to talk about one of the topics that I think you're absolutely. Hot on too. Let's do it. Absolutely. But look, let me let me first say I the last question I always ask everybody is, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Oh wow. What would I have what would I have liked for you to ask me that you did not ask me? Hmm. I think you should ask me what I took from being brought down, humiliated, fired, uh, being at the depths of sorrow, as they say, um, 
when I lost my gig at CNN and, and what I learned from the comeback. So give me the answer. <laughs> because I just asked it. You, <laughs> I just asked it in your voice. Here's what I learned. I learned that we all have skills. Some of them are God-given and others are those that we conditionally assume after we choose our way in the world. And by getting knocked down to the ground, stripped of my ability to earn a living, because it wasn't just CNN that said, we're not going to hire you or employ you. Every other network then said, sorry, we think you're great. We've seen your tape. My God, you're really good on camera, but no way. You're, you're done. You'll never be on TV again. And, uh, and, and after going in the closet and crying, in a way that my family wouldn't see me because I was embarrassed to see them in me in that position. One of the things I realized was that I needed to remake myself. And from time to time, we all have to remake ourselves. And it's a healthy thing. And to remake yourself, all you have to do is you dig down deep, you find is what are the qualities inside of you that are transmittable to another industry. And in my case, I found out it was healthcare. Who knew? And I built a $4.4 billion company. And, you know, it's, it's actually a little more than I used to make at CNN, to say the least. Um, and the reason I was able to do that was two things, really. What are the skill sets that we all have that we're never actually asked to use because we're comfortable where we are? Mm -hmm. So it's being thrown that level of discomfort that brings it out in us and which makes us stretch ourselves to become someone else, someone perhaps even bigger than what we used to be. And that was the experience that I had when I found out, okay, I've never done radio per se, but now iHeart's going to give me a gig doing local radio. I'll do it. I've never taught school, but I'm going to go and find a teaching job so I can make extra income. I've never done a show in Spanish, but now I'm going to host a show in Spanish. And I will have three, I will have four jobs. But within those jobs, I will find those skill sets in me that I will then be able to transfer to become the new, perhaps better Rick Sanchez. And I did. And it worked. And I'm better off for it. Rick Sanchez, an Emmy Award winner who was host of CNN's number one daytime show. Thank you so kindly for having gracias. been on Politics Done Right. Thank you. Muchísimas gracias, hermano. Igualmente. Politics Done Right depends on you to keep doing what we do. What do we do? We make sure to keep, number one, the internet seated with blogs and information to counter the right and to present what progressives represent for the benefit of us all to everybody so that it's not misread, misled by any other entity. We make sure and populate that internet with blogs, with videos, with all these other things to make sure that we are informed and to counter everything that you normally hear that, that are lying at the right. We also make sure to create articles in, in magazines, articles in newspapers all around the country to ensure, again, that our message gets out there. Last but not least, we also write books. As you see it, Class Warfare, the only re resort to right-wing doom, How to Make America Utopia. 
are two of the many books that I've written on these issues. So please support us in one of many ways. Numero uno, you can support us at PayPal, either one time or monthly. Go to politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal. You can support us on Patreon. That is politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can support us by becoming a part of our YouTube channel, going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, or you can support us in many other forms that you can find at politicsdoneright.com slash support. Be sure to visit our store, politicsdoneright.com slash store, and get our books at politicsdoneright.com slash books. Economist Larry Summers, supposedly a progressive economist. Actually, he told the truth, right? Um, he shows, however, why this economic system can only be considered defective, unsustainable, and evil. I want you to listen to this, and then we'll take it on the other side. But please listen keenly. It is very important. Very important. Let's talk about the economy, the basic economy. You said it's complicated. Uh, complicated could be a euphemism for it's not going to turn around anytime soon. Look, Andrea, I think we're getting bad news on inflation and we're getting bad news on economic strength. The bad news on inflation is coming in the form of the wage and price increase data. The bad news on economic strength is coming on terms of uh, the spending data. And so what that's telling us is, frankly, what I and many others have been saying for a long time, that uh, the Fed and the, to some extent, the administration, but much more the Fed's confidence in a soft landing is tooth fairy uh, kind of uh, stuff. And we need, in my view, to prioritize inflation, because if we don't prioritize inflation, we're going to have higher and higher inflation and a more and more stagflationary situation. And we need to prioritize inflation. But if we do, we're going to very likely have a meaningful uh, economic uh, downturn. I was very surprised by Secretary Yellen's uh, expression of optimism that we could somehow get through this without the unemployment rate rising above 5%. She's a great economist, and that's certainly a possibility. But my best guess would be that 5% unemployment sort of corresponds to neutral in the current post-COVID environment. And so to have inflation come way down, we're going to have to see unemployment uh, get uh, above that. So I think we just have to accept uh, what's uh, necessary as part of the investment process for building the very, very strong economy uh, that we can have in the United States. And so you would assume it's more likely than not we're going to have a recession if we're not already there. 
I, I think the odds are very high, perhaps over three quarters, that in the next year or two we will have a <laughs> a uh, recession, and I think that's just what happens when you have an economy that is as overheated as our economy was allowed to become. First of all, before I tackle the meat of what he had to say, I want to say this. Notice what he said. Uh, in an economy as overheated as it was allowed to occur. In other words, the economy got overheated because we had a pandemic and, then, and we gave people money to stay home. So they And the money that we gave them to stay home were living wages as opposed to just starvation type incomes many people were getting on their own jobs. And that is a bad thing because that causes the economy to overheat under Larry Summers' parlance. And, you know, based on the way this economic system works, that's true. But then he, that earlier on, he says, Yellen is, is really talking gibberish because there are bad things that are happening now. And what are the bad things that are happening? Inflation is going up. And wages are going up. He didn't say the bad thing is that inflation is going up. He's saying the bad thing that is occurring is inflation is going up and wages are going up. So that's a bad thing. He doesn't look at it and say, oh, that's what we need. We need wages to go up. And he says to solve that problem, the first thing that we have to tackle is inflation. That's the most important thing inflation based on our economic system. We need to control inflation. And how do we control inflation? We control inflation by saying, we can't be talking about having a 3.5% unemployment rate, or we can't be talking about having a 5% unemployment rate. The people must feel pain. We need to give all those people who are working, we need to throw them out of a job. That is the way we regulate our economic system. Throw them out of a job so that all the rich cats out there, all the rich corporations that are the ones responsible for inflation can't do it anymore. You see, inflation says those guys who have price and power, the corporations, they charge whatever they like. And we can't tell them as a society, stop it. Stop ripping us off and stop keeping all of our money in your pockets. Stop being parasites. We can't force them to do that. The only way we can get them to do that is for the feds to come in, the Federal Reserve, to come and coax them that way. And how do you coax them that way? You coax them that way by increasing the interest rates, the Fed rate, increasing the rate so that it costs them more to develop the things to you. And then when you cannot afford all these things, they have to, to keep their profits going. To keep maximizing their profits, they have to say, okay, what can we cut here? Employment. We cut employment. And when we cut employment, what do we cut? Demand. Because those unemployed people have to be poor now. They can't spend as much anymore. And that's how we stop those plutocrats, the ones with price and power, the ones who increase prices. Even though there isn't a supply glut, even though there's not a supply shortage, this guy acts like an overheated economy, meaning an economy where people have money to spend and uh, has to be stopped, even though there isn't shortage of product. The one thing we know, they have money. 
the people have money now, right? So instead of keeping the products at a reasonable price and making your reasonable profit, and these people can buy more choices, more things, it is no. For the basic things that you need, we're going to increase the prices because we know that if you have the money in your pocket to buy the things of basic needs, you are going to do it, right? And remember, the ones that always get hurt are the ones in the bottom of the scale because those are the ones that have to buy whatever the market will bear. In other words, I got to go to work. I got to buy gasoline and it takes as it doesn't matter how much of my pocket is taken. The only way those plutocrats stop taking money, the only way the oligarchy, the corporations stop taking money is when they I mean, stop raising prices is when they themselves start to feel the pain and starting to lay people off and then the demand is gone. It's a failed economic system. The lies that you hear about, it's taking people out of poverty and all that kind of crap. It doesn't have to be this system to take people out of poverty. One that says we got to force a certain percentage of our population into poverty so that the plutocrats, so that the rich cats, so that the oligarchy, so that the plutocracy don't keep raising your prices to such an extent that it just gets out of control because these guys are doesn't have they don't have a lot of stairs they just want money they are parasites a parasite doesn't understand that after it kills its 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 uh, its its body after it kills the body it is parasitic against it also dies because there is no more body left but you see the plutocrats like i said they're not very smart upstairs so they don't mind killing, killing, killing because they know that the system, the, 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 the self-fixing system of this form of our economic system, of this form of capitalism, going to rein them in before they get themselves killed. Because like any parasite, you kill your victim and then you eventually die. And that's and to prevent the plutocrats from themselves dying. The self-sustaining, just take them to the edge, is the feds who can then regulate to force them to do the right thing without telling them you can't overcharge the prices. But who always pays people? You do. Who always They never pay. You know, they complain about giving us a few billion dollars to get us out of a pandemic. But when they need help, they get trillions. In, in, uh, in economic easing. They get trillions in quantitative easing. They get trillions in saying, we got to make them whole. When the chip manufacturers took their, their manufacturing overseas and now there is a supply pro- tr- problem because China can't get the, the stuff over here quick enough because now it's all the way over there. We're not building these things over here anymore. So we depend on China. We depend on Vietnam. We depend on them sending things here. Our plutocrats, our oligarchy did that to make more money. And then when there's a supply chain problem, which means they can't get the chip to America, they raise the prices on the car. They continue to make a lot of money. And we have to pay the higher prices if we want the stuff, right? And then when they, you know, now we, the government wants to protect us, right? So the government, because we are the government, we the people. 
So the government tells Intel and all these other chip manufacturers that send all their chips overseas, all right, we're going to pass the CHIPS Act. We're going to help you build your factories here so that you can employ Americans here and not leave overseas. So they make a big profit to leave, and then we give them our money to beg them to come back to the States. We subsidize the rich guys who made record profits last year. We subsidize them to come but in order to get this economy working right, we got to we have to go above five percent in uh, above five percent unemployment. We have to make the average middle class pay. They have got to pay for the mistakes that we make. Oh, it's not a mistake. It's our economic system. Larry Summers' statement on inflation and employment proves we have a defective an unsustainable, and an evil economic system. Is he truthful in the way it works? He is truthful in the way it works because it is the system as is. Is there a solution? You bet there is. But you start talking about that solution, and you know what people want to call you. But in, So instead, we just continue to pilfer the poor, pilfer the middle class. It is something we can never get above, folks, unless you take command of your economy. We don't need corporations. We need collectives where the owners of that corporations are the people, the means of production, the people who produce. You work for company A, you are part owner of company A because all that profit should go to you and your and all, all of you who do it. And for things that are essential to our system, energy, certain types of food, and other areas, healthcare, we the people should be in control of a well-managed system where these guys who work and profit off of our demise can profit no more. Don't forget, folks, support the show at politicsdoneright.com slash support. Politicsdoneright.com slash support. I hope you enjoyed the program, but we got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right, and you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. <laughs>